0: strapped in the trenches, making moves going all out, everyday handle business, you know that the hustle don't stop, got my team, let's get it, reviewing books and talk stocks, steady keep it moving, so you gon' wanna tune in, get down it's an app, get local food on demand, delivery right to your home, everything in the palm of your hand, took hard work and dedication, come through, join the conversation, this is history up in the making, we just wanna be an inspiration, Hey, let's go.
1: Welcome to another edition of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. This episode is called Entrepreneurs Are Problem Solvers. We will be diving into Phil Knight's shoe dog book later on in the episode. Before that, we'll be, of course, going over our business and what lies ahead. But as always, we have to discuss our food comas from last night and what's in store for tonight. And uh, we'll get started with you, Corey. Uh, how was that
2: San Juan, Puerto Rico trip? Oh, it was awesome! Um, great weather. It was like eighty-eight and sunny. It was a quick trip. Awesome food. Um, they're famous for this thing called like Mufungo. and it was like it's like plantains style mashed potatoes with like garlic butter and stuffed with meat. And it was really good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just had pizza. Came back and was just craving pizza. Doesn't that always uh, happen
1: when you leave America or – well, I guess Puerto Rico is technically America. Yeah, but – But you know know what I mean.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, I was craving it and so I went with that last night. It's always either
3: pizza or Panda Express right after I get back from being like on a trip or in another country.
2: It's funny you say that. We were in the airport and that was the first thing we saw and we were like, should we get it? We decided not to and get pizza, but I was thinking about it.
1: Yeah, it calls everyone out at that airport. They do a great job <laughs> of just making everyone crave Panda Express out of nowhere. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, you smell it.
1: And Dan, how about you? Uh, what about me? What was the question? Oh, we were food last night. We uh, we were. Oh yeah, work. we went.
3: Well, first off, we are doing this podcast a day late, so Sunday food coma. watched the Super Bowl at your place. Had some had some wings and all that good stuff. Last night we went to a Mexican place in Scottsdale, and I got the El Pastor tacos, and they were nowhere near as good as the El Pastor tacos in Mexico. I got the wrong dish. You That's did. What happens?
1: Which uh, is yeah. a big problem when you order poorly at a place where you knew you it was a last second decision. Then
3: place also didn't have fajitas. It's kind of Mexican well, you actually. also made fajitas. a game
1: time choice. Like it was almost like impulsive. You audible. At the last second when the, you know, when the, you know, waitress was taking your order, you don't really know what you want. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that grabs my eye. Yeah, well, the
3: plan when the waitress came up to the table was to ask her the closest thing on the menu that resembled fajitas, because they didn't have fajitas, and that's like all I eat when I go to Mexican restaurants, and right when I was about to ask that, I just, my eyes caught the El Pastor tacos, which are the greatest things ever in Mexico, so I was just naturally like, oh, game on, and yeah, they weren't good.
1: Well, Dan, if we hadn't been there such recent times, you know, being only six weeks ago, I feel like you might have enjoyed those tacos a bit more. That was a tough bar to be compared to, to be fair to that restaurant last night. Although I didn't have the El Pastor tacos last night. That's what a good would you point. go with, Mike? I went with the chicken enchiladas and honestly, eh, like I was not that impressed. I figured, you know, we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, good Southwest food normally down here. It was just not seasoned well enough. It tasted too bland. I needed some kick. When I'm at a Mexican restaurant getting enchiladas, I asked the waitress for her recommendation for which sauce to go with. She said green. It's like, cool. My taste buds were like, I'm falling asleep here. So <laughs> that was, uh, but you know, and yeah, tonight we're, we're actually not waiting on a delivery right now, Corey. We're going against protocol. We haven't even decided what we're getting yet for dinner.
2: So that's a bit of a problem. Are you going out or are you guys getting delivery though I, I
1: think we're going out because you know we're on the road i guess it's a, a bit of a different circumstance so. although we should be following suit i just you know i'd rather not order off a competitor in another city too good point yeah you know yeah we're good but uh get out yeah of the <laughs> on that note cory you want to go over the food for thought
2: yeah or does dan do you want to start with the food news
3: start with the food news the food news is definitely light this week but the the most exciting thing that i have for the news is that dunkaroos is making a comeback this summer the is. Big, the news, big time i'm gonna dunk it like it's hot i cannot wait my personal strategy when i used to eat dunkaroos was i would take as little of a dip into the frosting as possible on my first all the crackers up until I had the last cracker. And then I wanted to like fill the last cracker with as much fudge as possible. That was just my strategy. Everyone's got wow. a different I had the same strategy. The
1: it's
3: a much different strategy. strategy. Corey,
2: had what had the same st- st- was yours? I, no, I Corey. Yeah.
1: Oh, see I, I went sandwiches. <laughs> I literally would take out the actual, you know, crackers at the Dunkaroos. And I then spread my, with my finger back then, we're talking middle school, who cares, <laughs> yeah. spread my finger in the chocolate and created, you know, like a spread like peanut butter. And I would sandwich them in between. And, you know, I think there were like six crackers or seven in there. I'd usually have three sandwiches and then like a half that I dipped the rest in, so you which I thought your- was phenomenal.
3: You used your finger to dip instead of the dunkaroo. Well, no, finger to
1: not finger to dip. Keep in mind, finger to spread. So okay. I was, I was going with the, you know, insert and then spread. So, uh, I'm
3: getting a weird visual from all this.
1: It was phenomenal. <laughs> not gonna lie. I mean, think about a sandwich, a Dunkaroo sandwich with fudge. And the key with Dunkaroos, too, Dan, to highlight, you there's a right and a wrong way here to eat these. You, in my opinion, at least, the white frosting ones with the lighter snack, you have to take the lighter crackers and get the chocolate fudge and combine those because they have the c- cupcake like cake fudge and then there's the chocolate fudge and they have the dark crackers and the lighter crackers. I like the lighter crackers with the dark fudge.
2: So I you used too. to have to, yeah, you have to yeah. kind of be
1: careful
3: there. Yeah,
2: it's a power move. Definitely. Big time. Yeah,
3: yeah so... Pretty exciting stuff between them this week, Oreos last week, junk food in general is making a big comeback and I'm pumped about it. Sweet actually, Dan. I got my Milano's right here, Ooh. a little bedtime snack, I'm munching on them as I go Gorgeous to Oreos favorite. <laughs> I do love Milano's. <laughs> other food news of the week. The only other thing I got actually, this is actually pretty cool. So basically, you guys know the shopping chain Kroger?
2: Yeah. Yep. Indiana.
3: So Kroger apparently is teaming up with the medical field where now doctors are going to be prescribing people diets instead of like just jumping to drugs right away, which is so game changing if you ask me. So like basically if someone comes in, let's say they have diabetes, they're going to get like subscribed to the right amount of what they need to eat. And it's going to then come from Kroger's and
1: it's like, it's just sounds really
3: cool. That's brilliant.
1: I love that. We predicted this movement years ago. Remember with the, our do- concierge doctor, we were talking about that when we were still running Denver? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yep. I mean, th- it's obvious where things are heading with wearables and nanotechnology. That That's a, a movement to think about. Maybe we could figure out a way to take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, and then uh, the only other thing is Takeaway and Just Eat finalized their deal like that. There was last week, it was going through one final stage in the courts, and it was possibly going to not go through, but that's final. And that's it. None of uh, the major United States competitors came up on my radar this week for the first time in a while. Unless well, maybe something. that
1: means something's brewing. There's usually a calm before the storm.
3: Oh, well, the other thing that actually came up, but this is old news, where there was a lot of reports surfacing this week that DoorDash and Uber had failed merger talks in 2019. So it's not that that just happened, but now is the story's coming out for the first time. I don't know how long ago it was. It sounds like they are still in talks, but the story is that they have failed talks. Interesting. (laughs) Yep. So we'll see where that leads. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, my prediction, like a month ago, when I thought Grubhub was gonna sell by the podcast after the next one, was couldn't
1: have been more incorrect. Well, you know, those sold. things usually take longer than you think.
2: Yeah, we thought you were spot on a couple of weeks ago when it looked like Grubhub was that- exploring a sale. You know, I think you're spot
1: on. It's just a couple months early.
3: All right, well we'll keep that we'll keep that one open. Not, I'm yeah. not even liking like any of my predictions for the year that I made. I was going through them in my mind like earlier, and <laughs> I only remember a couple of them. I, I don't think I'm buying a house this year. Like, what was I talking about? <laughs> Genie is not in your future. I guess. <laughs> I guess
2: we'll see that. I mean, who knows?
3: Bill Belichick's not a coach.
1: <laughs> Bill Belichick's not the Giants' coach. Like a lot of our like, oh, yeah. Well, that, that's predict- that's the only one that I think I'm getting wrong personally. <laughs>
2: Gronkowski actually came out and said that uh, the new Giants coach is like a genius and he's unbelievable
1: that's great Gronk you have the Gronk stamp of approval you know we're in good he's like a man that's not a guy that would just say that no
2: not at all so that's awesome food for thought Uh, this was actually a Bob Roland topic suggestion Uh, we were talking about Coca-Cola hacks so Coca-Cola obviously besides drinking it is great for a ton of things. It's a toilet cleaner. You can pour a can of Coke into the toilet and uh, cl- wow. and clean it. It's uh, just as good Whoa. as any solution. You can use it as pesticide uh, due to the high sugar content of the drinks. It just makes it efficient for fighting pests. Um,
3: you could also really trick guests with soda in the toilet. That's a good
2: point. That <laughs> That would be disgusting looking. I like that. Um, (laughs) Wow. How can anyone drink this after looking at this? Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's a lot of cool hacks, but I mean, I would not drink it. (laughs) Pesticide. Great for the stomach. (laughs) Yeah. It also (laughs) removes stains in clothing. So if you ever have a stain, just put Coca-Cola on it right before you do the wash and then just throw it in there and it gets the actual stain out. Um, That's
3: shocking. I feel like Coca-Cola would cause a stir.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, most people put like ginger ale or like club soda, but they say Coca-Cola actually works better.
1: I'm going to try that on one of my See, this is great shirts. advertising for them. It's it's obviously it makes sense why they don't promote these things, but they would all make great you know, call to actions for people that don't drink soda. It's like you know, you could still use. Us. Yeah,
2: I,
3: <laughs> like
1: I think that would be a great thing for them.
3: Exactly, Mike. That. Do, you to, do you want to do our Coca Cola ad read?
2: <laughs> maybe maybe Mountain Coca- Dew <laughs> coming soon though,
3: right? That's, that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> we, might, we might have an we might have an ad brewing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. On,
2: on that note, though, for so another good reason to actually buy Coca Cola if you leave it in your car, or you don't have to leave it in your car, but. A good thing to do is leave it in your car if it's like a snowy day and your window freezes over. You just pour it on the windshields and it just turns the ice into slush. So instead of getting one of those those snow th- things and just, you know scraping it off, you could just pour Coca Cola. So it's a little hack. Wow! And then uh, no cool. need to actually cool. pee on yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. You could relieve jelly be- <laughs> jellyfish stings or even bee stings with. Um, just by dumping coca-cola on the on the sting or the bite
1: that's fascinating i did not know any of that Corey, about coca-cola i used to love it as a kid and i'm glad after you gave all those food for thought tips and uh, well hacks really that i don't drink coke anymore because that (laughs) is so disturbing
2: yeah i mean just imagine what it's doing to your insides i mean
1: Oh, like it's like, oh, it's great for pesticide. It's like – and that's great for your stomach lining as well. Like how is that even
2: – oh, oh man. And yeah, the sad part oh. is that there's like 50 more hacks that like – I mean it just goes on and on. Worse. And I just picked like six of them.
1: <laughs> Jeez. Wow. You learn something new every day. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, I guess, for some of those people that are loving Coca Cola <laughs> to drink at least. But for them, it's great. Like, it, literally, you can cover all grounds. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Like, anyone that says, screw Coke, it's like, what are you kidding me? Do you live in a cold place? And, have your windshield freeze over? I no,
2: I feel like they should just rebrand it for certain things, like for yeah, you know, and then just sell it as that a window because or you can live by the
1: beach and surf and get a jellyfish sting exactly. <laughs> so it's like on Eddie, on both extremes, Coke has you covered. Yeah. The the rebranding thing is actually genius. Like Coke coming
3: out with something specifically for jelly stings yeah. that's not called Coke,
1: but it's theirs because it's the same product. Exactly, and they call yeah. it you know. Stingray. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it won't be a cola. Maybe it's just Coke, something else. That's no, the not even of Coke.
3: It. Like they completely disconnect the brand because if you're drinking Coke, you don't want to think it's also like a pesticide. But they could just call it like you know Frank's Pesticide. Yeah, it's yeah. really like Coca-Cola. And yeah, the problem that just
1: makes it. I mean, yeah, they have the resources to play around. I just think it would be interesting if they figure out a way to like market to people that hate sugar, where it's like you don't need to drink us. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah.
3: that would be interesting it would be so tough to do that though without making people who occasionally have coke be like wow I'm never having this
1: ever again see yeah that's where I wonder though if you tell like a guy like Anthony for example who drinks two liters of Mountain Dew a day if you showed him these things he'd laugh like I don't think most people if they are a big fan of soda would see these things and change their ways at all I agree I'll be honest sugar's addicting And people, you know, their habit, creatures a habit. I have the Burger King McDonald's, same
2: thing. I'll have the occasional Diet Coke or ginger ale, like depending like if I'm just eating like, I don't know, pizza or something, I I kinda crave it sometimes. If
3: I'm hungover, I really crave Coke and pizza. Cocaine too. But (laughs) mainly the soda. (laughs) Yeah. But there's no doubt that after hearing this that will not change. I'll still have a soda when I fly over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a good segue into the whole theme today being entrepreneurs or problem solvers. Obviously, it seemed fitting with we'll be reviewing Phil uh, Knight's Shoe Dog book shortly, but we're in the business of problem solving, guys. When you think about entrepreneurship versus a conventional normal job, Every day in conventional, normal jobs, it's almost like having an exact script to follow a lot of the times where, sure, everyone solves problems in their day-to-day life, without a doubt. We're all on the same planet and the same playing field with that. But when it comes to professions, in our situation, we've, over the years, if you think about it, have had to problem solve a lot ongoing off of there not really being an exact way of doing things. And... I think that's fascinating because we all grew up in such a regimented way with going to class, a bell ringing, going to another class. Uh, our parents all we, you know, we had great upbringings, but our parents all had conventional jobs too. So I think it's fascinating that we have gone down that entrepreneurial journey together. And it was cool that book made me think of our business a lot, Phil Knight's journey, because with us in the food delivery game, as we've seen the last few years, we're in a very competitive field and we've had to create new ways of having a voice and distinguishing ourselves and relating to the new age consumer, even, you know, these younger kids, we're not 18, 19 year olds anymore. Our college markets are kids that are not in our same age group. So we have to not only approach our outlook on that differently, but, our methodology with day-to-day branding too. So I think that's been cool to think about how we've attacked this obstacle with the Ubers, DoorDashes, Grubhubs, Postmates of the world by doing things such as this podcast and having a blog and doing all these cool interactive things that we've been up to this year. So I wanted to start with that with you guys. Uh, Any thoughts on what I just brought up with the problem solving? Yeah, I mean... I just can't get through to these kids. <laughs>
3: you guys ever seen that South Park episode? I haven't
2: <laughs> yet.
3: <Yeah>, I, <haven't. laughs> should... I was just going to, it's just funny. I got to send you guys that. Yeah, I got to see this. It's Carmen is like, pretending to be, like, this older guy. is like, <laughs> I just can't get through to these kids. <laughs> but <laughs> that's how I feel with these damn food reviews. Oh, no, oh but you know what? God. Mike and I were talking about the food reviews before we came on here. And ultimately, we came to the consensus that you first get the haters before there's any supporters. And Right now, we're in the hater stage. So we started yeah. doing these food reviews and – they're getting tons of views, and right now the comments are kind of negative. And it's those yeah. people who like to find things to bitch about the trolls. And I think it's kind the trolls. And I think it's kind of good that the trolling the trolls are trolling us. Bring it on, I think maybe. That's a good thing. I think,
2: yeah. I think. It means that we're onto something. Me too. I mean, it's like no press is bad press. Same kind of thing. It's just people. If you look at any big brands like advertising, there, there's so many comments on Facebook and Instagram ads for like even Postmates and DoorDash. All their ads have negative oh, comments. Oh, that's all it is, is
1: negativity. I think anyone that's a creator is used to getting bashed. So I was telling Dan earlier, Corey, it's like while we're creating, people are hating. And that's the name yeah. of the game. You know, when I was a young kid, I thought you could please everybody. And then I got older.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's just There's the definitely name of the like-
3: game there's definitely these like three dudes that don't even live in Boulder who live like on the outskirts who have developed a man crush for Mike Hey, and come on. They, they wait for these videos and they're like, Oh, this guy's cringeworthy. <laughs> and they just toward shirt back and forth. There's three of them. And it's like, you look on there. I mean, we're feeding the trolls right now, but let's feed them a little. Hey, they've you know, they had once in them. a
1: while. Let's feed them on this podcast because they're not going to listen. But yet. I actually think that's <laughs> better it's than point. no comments because we're getting talked about. I mean, and, you know, Corey, Dan and I were talking about this earlier. It's good that like Hungry Buffs, you could tell, is starting to be discussed a lot more again.
2: It, yeah, I mean, exactly. With the whole branding, I was looking at a bunch of the comments – And, yeah, I mean the fact that they're actually saying anything, that means they watched it. Exactly. So So we have their attention. And they're going to continue to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Keep consuming, folks. It's definitely been positive. Hate or love, keep consuming.
3: And and listen, the other thing to keep in mind is like it's always good if people give constructive criticism to pay attention to it. But that's not what we're getting right now. It's not like people are like, hey – so here's my, here's my take on this. This so, is cool, yeah. however, blah, 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 blah. It's like a complete short I think they process. secretly so are we got-
1: obsessed, though. I, I think they actually really love the food reviews, and that's why they're hating to the hate. Like, you're right. There's one thing to hate with a critique, where it's just someone that's like, you know, maybe negative, but has some good constructive criticism. Then there's aid, which is what Oh yeah. it's like. Oh, so you're like deeply embedded to what we're up to. Because that, that's what I yeah. think actually loves us, but is just a miserable person. And they, they are kind of looking at us as their therapist.
2: There is one uh, like constructive criticism. It wasn't constructive. It was just like, I get that Hungry Buffs is like trying to rebrand and come up with this new stuff. And like, it was kind of like, oh, I respect it. I think that they're that one person was just saying like, they want to see like food reviews where we're not just like, this restaurant's great. It's like, well, you know, it's it's tough to review a place that's your Yeah, client. I was
1: Dan Corey, I was telling that to Dan. It's funny you say that the other day. I'm like, Yeah, we could start a segment in New York where it's like, fuck off, this food sucks. Where it's yeah. not someone we work with and we do it as an advertising portal. That's a great model. We, and I get what these people are saying if they're not clients.
2: Yeah, it's like we're just showcasing their food. I mean Yeah.
1: I also think at the end of the day, we're not like, okay,
3: people are all like, oh, do you ever not like a place? It's like, yo, bro, we've put up like eight reviews. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not going around and reviewing every place. We're picking places out that we know that we do like and want to go review and want to showcase. So, yeah. you know, you, you could look at us as a place where if, there, if we're not, if we are reviewing it, we kind of, we, we like it. If we think it sucks, we're not going to review it. And if people
1: don't like that, fuck off. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, whenever you provide a platform for opinions, there's just going to be a bunch of nonstop commentary. And that's what we're looking for at the end of the day. That's why we're doing all these things.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I love, I think as long as people are commenting, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. No matter what they say. And what are your
1: guys' thoughts overall on, uh, so Corey, you know, Dan and I have been working on this content playbook, obviously, to as we're guinea pigging, going into starting to sell content media packages in the weeks to come. So what are your thoughts on that whole situation?
2: I mean, I'm excited. It's definitely the way like all brands are, or just businesses in general are heading moving forward. Um, they know that everything is digital and they need production and content to push out there. No matter what your, your business is, like you were saying, it could be a law firm. It could be you know, a car dealership. They all need content to push on social And I think it's a great business to get into. I was
1: telling Dan, Corey, I think it'd be cool. You know, the players cards, like, you know, collectors cards creating, like as part of like a day in the life, a story video, we also craft like our own made up cards, like with business highlights for the people. Like say we bring on a law firm. Oh, we've taken on X amount of clients, been in business X amount of years where, you know, we have a profile with the best action shot they've ever had. of
2: like a call to action shot in their business. Yeah, it's pretty. That's a smart idea. It's pretty so, cool. So, you know, there's,
1: yeah, things like that where it's just, we're tapping into them as personalities. And even when you look at the Super Bowl, we you saw how the quarterbacks had cartoons. Fox Sports decided to highlight that. And that was, Yo, I uh, love that because of the timing. Me too. Me too. So, yeah, it's exciting. I think, as we can attest to guys, timing is everything. And we're seeing through our own business how essential it is with changing times and I don't think a lot of companies have the foresight that we have because they haven't been in the situations we're in. So when we're seeing all these companies spending all this money on Google and TV, how are they really resonating with their customers and potential customers doing that?
2: Yeah, and it really goes hand in hand with the book too. I mean, they were bootstrapped so many times it was crazy for sure how many times their backs against were against the wall and they just fought back and just kept going. Absolutely.
1: Before I dive into that summary, Dan, any thoughts?
3: Uh, Not really. (laughs) No, no thoughts. I agree with what you guys were saying. All right. Sorry, I got a little distracted, but yeah.
1: Well, yeah, guys. So I guess let's dive into Shoe Dog here. Phil Knight is the founder of Nike, and he actually wrote Shoe Dog, which was a memoir on his story, really. But the ironic part about it was he wrote it 40 years ago after Nike got rocking. So I thought that was really fascinating. And it's basically shoe dogs, a memoir, like I was saying about Phil Knight, he's the founder and board chairman of Nike. And this book, it basically starts off with him as a 24 year old on a run. Uh, He was an actual uh, track athlete at university of Oregon under the coach, Bill Bowerman, who ended up being his, the co-founder of Nike with him, which we'll get to in a bit. But it was really interesting to me because running was, is something I've always thoroughly enjoyed. And he used that analogy a lot with entrepreneurship. When you're on a run, you dictate the pace. There's no path necessarily. There's no finish line. That's up to you. And that's really, it's, An analogy, but it's also his methodology of how he built his business. He thought of this while on a run using tools of being a track athlete at Oregon. This was back in the 60s when he was an athlete there as a track, a college student, uh, running track. And the shoes were just, let's say, average, to say the least. You didn't have running shoes back then. So basically, he was seeing... There was a major need in his mind for a new type of shoe. And he had this idea while on a run that he should import running shoes from Japan. And this was when Japanese, there was a lot of reverse uh, engineering going on with Japanese cameras going into the German markets. And when you really think of where innovation pops a lot, guys. It's when you look at other businesses and movements and you're like, wait a minute, we could take this in athletics. So he was, in, and this was, keep in mind, way before, like running wasn't sexy back then. It wasn't a thing. Phil Knight turned running into a thing. And it was cool that that started with him as a college athlete. With that background, being a track star, his coach turned into his co-founder. But what ended up happening is he decided to fly to Japan and travel the world thanks to his dad, gave him a little bit of money. It, it was hard to really decipher how much money he gave him. Like the whole legend goes that he gave him $50 for an investment, but it sounds like reading between the lines, he got him going on his travel adventures, which really turned his entrepreneurial spirit onto the next level. And so he goes to Japan. He was selling encyclopedias before on his way to Japan in Hawaii with one of his buddies and he ends up flying to Tokyo. And this is when his entrepreneurial ways really began. He negotiated a deal with a company out there uh, called onetsuka And it was an athletic company in Japan that show, sold these tiger shoes, a shoe company, not an athletic company, I'm sorry, a shoe company. They sold these tiger shoes that were really popular in Japan. And he made up on the fly that he was representing this company, Blue Ribbon Sports, which was literally him out of his parents' garage running a, a, like a shell corporation. It was nothing. He was just putting himself on the line. And we talked about the power of improv a bit last week with Richard Branson. He had a lot of that in his mind all night because on a shoestring, he put this name together and convinces high-end business people in Japan to buy into this whole thing. So after he went on this world tour and got, got in bed with this company, Onitsuka. He comes back, earns a CPA, and starts working as an accountant just to pay the bills. The samples come in from Onitsuka. He ends up sending a couple pairs to his old track coach from Oregon, University of Oregon, Bill Bowerman. And Bowerman was a huge instrument in Knight's success. He loved these shoes so much. He asked Knight if he could partner. And Knight was obviously real pumped because... Bowerman gave him instant credibility. He was a really world-renowned track coach at the time. So University of Oregon was one of the top, I think the top uh, track program in the country. So that gave Phil Knight the oomph he really needed to build some more credibility, even though he already had the self-confidence to convince the Japanese that he had a legit company to begin with. So he went back to Japan, he climbed Mount Fuji, fell in love, got heartbroken, that whole story. He ended up, uh, while still working for an accountant, he decided to become, he he taught, instead of just working in his accountant, he taught accounting and ended up falling in love with another girl in one of his classes named Penelope Parks, who to this day is still married to him as uh, Penny Knight. Then after that, they had a couple kids. He's going back to Japan uh, his partner that he had in Japan was acting sketchy he was suspicious and sure enough Tsuko was basically giving him their scraps the all of the leftovers the the samples that weren't really working out in Japan were going to him so that's when he he was hearing rumors that his business partner that was helping him in Japan wanted to cut ties. So he brought him out to the U S to try to get on his good side and realized it just wasn't going to happen and dealt with an ab- actual absolute nasty lawsuit that almost put him under, as we've seen with every story we've gone through so far, financial turmoil hits everybody. They go through that inflection point and he, uh, he was in a hole and he was somehow able to keep his wits about him got his whole team. He had a small team at that point that was pumped. And they. this was when one of his uh, employees dreamed about the name Nike. They had to change their name, obviously, and completely rebrand because this whole blue ribbon game was coming to an end. And thanks to Bill Bowerman and his Oregon ties, as well as Knight being a runner there, there was a runner that really saved the day. When we think of... Michael Jordan being that next level athlete. Uh, The guy, I believe his name was Prefontaine. He was the top runner, a college runner in the country. So this this was basically, guys, what was really big. This was the beginning of shoe sponsoring, was this Prefontaine guy who ends up tragically dying in a car wreck. But he showcased... Uh, Phil Knight and Bowerman's original Nike shoes, which by the way, Bowerman created off of a waffle iron. He noticed the design from a waffle iron made for the right type of malleable stickiness for a running shoe for the track. So the former coach of Phil Knight, who he brought on as a partner, ended up coming up with the initial Nike shoe design that pre-Fontaine before he tragically died ended up showcasing in an insane race. I believe he broke the four-minute mile or was on pace to break the four-minute mile. He had some insane run that really put Nike on the map. And this was back when I was saying running was not really a thing. So that got them going. He ended up getting funded. He was, at this point, requesting over a million dollars from the Bank of California. And he was in debt to this Nisho company, this uh, Japanese company that he'd gotten money from. And that the guy who represented that company ended up backing him because he believed in Knight and what they were doing. So that ended up giving him the money he needed to get to the next level. But they were running into a lot of competition throughout this whole thing. There was some bullshit rule called the American selling price that competitors helped instill that made Nike be accountable to pay about $25 million to customs through all their importing and exporting with Japan. They ended up having to settle for nine mil, which still put a dent in things. And overall that that's really the sums up the whole Nike story. Obviously we look back, they're worth, I think about 30 bill today. They've got every athlete under the sun. You could imagine Michael Jordan. is probably the most famous athlete of all time that they've represented, but what a long way they've come since that, run he was on at 24 years old. So that pretty much sums up Shoe Dog. I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to dive into your thoughts.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, go for it, Corey. Mike, good summary. Thanks.
2: Yeah, great summary. Um, I mean, a lot of things I loved about this book. Um, I think something he stresses is that he's always put himself around good people. And, you know, the book really goes from the 60s to the 80s. Doesn't talk much about Nike today, but we obviously all know the story. Um, and But he's always, again, like Bowerman, a bunch of other people that he's had around him always made him successful. And he kind of just let people do whatever they want. Um, like they knew they had to get the task done, but he didn't tell them exactly how to do it. He just wanted to see the task done and see how that person did it. And it created to a lot of success with... Bowerman creating the Cortez shoes. Um, The other guy, I can't think of his name, created another um, product for them. And they all just worked and it exploded. Um, And I love, I kind of feel like he almost started influencer marketing. um, As soon as he got the very first shipment from uh, Japan with the Tiger shoes, the first thing he did was send it to Bowerman, like you said, and a couple other people. And it just you know got his name or got the brand on the map and then you know i loved his hustle where when you still doing the uh the tiger shoes he would just go around put uh posters everywhere on trees all over oregon and you know do whatever he can to just sell out every single time and you know it's a lot of the same kind of Damian john powers broke mentality his back was against the wall the entire time for nearly like 16 years before they went public, started making money. He was, against, you know, nearly folded, you know, time and time again. Um, and, yeah, it was just a great story. And it just shows to, you know, just keep going, never give up. And you should always just run and just get off the ground and, and, and do it. Whatever your dream is, you should at least try it and, you know, give it your best shot.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> a couple of things that I want to talk about regarding the book is, so first off, people don't realize that raising money back in the 60s and 70s was not what it is today with venture capitalism, where if you had something that was moderately working, you had people wanting to throw money at you for a percentage of your company. Nike was a company that... Had they been – if they started today and were on the same trajectory that they were on when they actually did start, they would have every venture capitalist firm in the world trying to throw as much money (laughs) at them as possible for a percentage of their company. And venture capitalism didn't really exist. I mean it existed, but it wasn't what it was – today back then. So instead, Phil Knight found himself dealing with banks a lot. And again, where there was the big difference was now it's all about showing growth, showing results. But when you're dealing with banks, they need to they need to see profits. They need to see that it's like an actual business. So from day one, Phil Knight was constantly... Finagling money around, moving money around accounts, things like that in order to keep the lights on, if you will. And a lot of the book was watching him or reading about him dealing with all the different banks. And the way that he had to work them and the way that he, you know, was hopping around to make sure that he always had some sort of money. So I think that's just something that, you know, people should keep in mind if they do read this book or when they listen to us talk about it. Times were so different than when it comes to having resources available. Another thing is we didn't even trade with China when he first started Nike, which is why he really got things going in Japan. So when we were in High school and college, and we were starting to learn about sweatshops and things like that. A lot of that was stuff Nike was in on. And, you know, the book talks about it a little, but it's more just knowing so. Nike didn't even start dealing with countries like China and Taiwan until after Japan because it was kind of closed off to the United States. So when you're dealing with the 1960s and 1970s, it's such a different time period. The other thing is, Adidas, which is actually pronounced Adidas, was a massive European company way bigger than Nike was at the time. Nike's obviously way bigger than Adidas, but you don't realize, at least I didn't, when you're reading about this and you're learning about Nike, how much Adidas was the big player. And not just that, but, you know, this was Puma P- too. P- Puma too. And this was also around the time of, you know, Nazi Germany. And this was another thing I didn't really know. Adidas was kind of a German company. So there was a lot of them versus us when it came to Nike being like a a big time American pride company. And that was definitely like a a theme throughout the book that kept showing up time and time again. I'll even get into it a little more when they were about to go public and they spun it around with the United States. So Mike, you, you touched on it a little bit, but essentially... Puma, Adidas, these companies kind of like had a conspiracy where they set up, they like maneuvered these laws in a way to try and completely cripple
1: and destroy Nike. And well, they were brothers, you know, Puma and Adidas, Adidas uh, were brother rivals. I know. The founders of both companies. Yeah,
3: the Puma guy left Adidas to start Puma, and that was kind of the end of their relationship. But Yeah, no, for sure. But when um, Nike, they kind of, once they started to know that they were going to be in a position to go public, they kind of played the us versus them, David versus Goliath card a little bit. And they kind of launched like a whole campaign almost at the United States. Where what they were trying to do was make the public realize that the United States was like almost bullying them around. So they actually like ran a TV ad telling a story of a little Oregon company fighting the big bad government, and that's what kind of caused the United States Customs to sort of want to settle instead of like go hard on a lawsuit that they knew was going to be a shit show for them because all of a
1: sudden, well, would have bankrupted them.
3: Yeah, no, no, no. But I'm talking about it from the U.S. Customs side. U.S. Customs was kind of in a weird situation because Nike was getting a lot of rally and support from Americans as like an American company. And they were kind of playing this marketing image where they were like spinning it in a way where the U.S. government was trying to like screw with their success. And it it, it worked well for them. I just thought it was interesting. The other thing I loved was how he kind of – played the Onitsuka guy where like you touched on it, where he invites them to the United States and he wants to wow him, And he's talking about how they're driving up and down the Pacific West, which is a beautiful part of the country and eating seafood and drinking wine and just having a great time. And he brings them to like their big office to try and wow him. And then when this guy goes to the bathroom Phil Knight essentially jacks a document from this dude's briefcase that outlines this guy's travel plans and shows that this guy is going to meet with all these other major shoe companies all over the country. And that's when Phil Knight knew like, oh man, we're, we need to figure something else out. And where he kind of pulled a fast one on this guy was at this point, this guy thought Nike was Blue Ribbon. And that's when Nike – kind of shadily launched Nike, which was the quote-unquote backup plan for Blue Ribbon if this Onitsuka thing went south. But it was really their way of swapping out Blue Ribbon and completely swapping out Onitsuka instead of vice versa. And that's when they kind of started to open up the floodgates and go into different countries and find different factories to work with. So it it was just, again, thinking about the – like this – Shaggy Phil Knight guy who's got these nervous tics and has rubber bands around his wrist that he snaps during meetings and hugs himself when he gets <laughs> nervous. Imagine this guy like dealing with high up Japanese people in like the 1960s and seventies before the relationships were what they are now. It, it's wild to think about. And the way he kind of had the last laugh and played them hard is really what it came down to. He saw that they were trying to play him and he just played the shit out of them. And I thought it was cool. And I guess I'll end it with one of my favorite quotes ever. The cowards never started the week died along the way that leaves us.
2: I love it.
1: I like it. Yeah. My favorite quote was, if you're going through hell, keep going. The Winston Churchill quote he had in there. I thought that was sums it up, where it's just like, keep on trudging. Yep. It's like fighting through those pains in a run where you have cramps and you just want to puke. It, but then you get over that hump and then you get the runner's eye. Totally. It was also really cool how
3: well I thought he was gonna talk more about certain guys who I thought really like carried Nike like I figured there'd be way more about Michael Jordan and about Tiger Woods and he definitely touched on them and you could tell he gave
1: he gave Jordan his kudos he
3: did he, gave, he definitely he gave Tiger too like yeah. he said, out when Phil Knight's son died in that scuba diving accident Tiger was the very first person to call him at 7 30 a.m. and that you know Ty- they all went to the funeral and stuff like that so I thought that was cool but the other thing that was just awesome was throughout the story there are all these defining moments in history for nike when you really think about them i mean the one that i think about the most is when tiger woods made that winning putt and like the swoosh it was it was at the players it was like he chipped it from off the green it was like a 60 foot shot that the announcers were saying was impossible for him to even get within a putting range and it ends up going and hanging on the rim of the cup for, like, that extra second, and then you see the swoosh as it falls in. I feel like Phil Knight had so many moments where the swoosh was, like, in these major televised events, and it was cool how he always he loved the sport in it all where he would always go to these huge games. And like, that's what he spent a lot of time doing was going to see who was going to be rocking his Nike and like wanting to see them actually win. So like, whether it was a track athlete or a college basketball team, he was obsessed with like whoever was walking, rocking Nike, them winning in their craft. And there were so many moments where champions were rocking Nike and it was so cool. The way he broke them down in the book.
2: Yeah, I love how they also came up with swoosh, where it just is the sound of someone passing you in your room. Yeah, it's amazing.
3: That's pretty cool. That is cool. It's also cool <laughs> how he's like humble enough to admit that he didn't really like any of the early stuff the name, the swoosh, all these things. Dimension
1: six? Yeah, had, yeah. Like, <laughs> that yeah, was, think
3: about that for a second. That was what Phil Knight <laughs> wanted to name Nike, Dimension six. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. Man. And
3: Blue Ribbon. I mean, when I, mean, I think yeah. of Blue Ribbon, I think of a beer.
2: I
1: don't know
3: why. Yeah,
2: I think there's well, there's like a fried chicken chain called Blue Ribbon. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, it, it was a crazy road that he went on with Nike, and you know, it's remarkable thinking about. Just do it is probably the most famous slogan in marketing history. When you actually break it down, they own that. So Nike is at the top of the pedestal when you really think about branding. Yeah, I can't. So like Corey highlighted, yeah, influencer marketing, they really started that. They've been the pioneers and it's really not, it is ironic, but it's not in starting as a running company. They've paid, they've been the trailblazers starting in Oregon. So it's fitting and it, the whole thing really just works itself out.
3: And it's another example of somebody starting a huge company just to fulfill their own personal need. This guy wanted a shoe yeah. that he really enjoyed that was going to help him run better.
1: And that's what started yeah. Nike essentially. He made running cool.
2: He did running. Is and yeah, cool. it's actually interesting. <laughs> I yeah, just, uh, I was just reading now that, so Nike came out with the VaporMax shoes which are like new running shoes And five Olympians have posted their best times ever Since they wore that product And they, they actually, they banned it for a little bit And now they think for this coming Olympics It's not going to be banned But the technology is literally gives you a little bit of a boost And they're wow. saying that's how advanced Nike technology is um, For running right now Corey, time to buy Nike stock? I think so, Vapor VaporMax there we go. We'll, we'll mark
3: that date down. Nike's definitely a company that gets kind of hit hard from the coronavirus shutdown in China. There's no doubt about that. They got a lot of exposure over there.
1: Well, that virus can only last so long. People have to keep wearing shoes. <laughs> they, you know, they, I think what, what you think about, though, what's cool with Nike, they started as a running company. And when you really think of them, the brand basketball comes more front and center to mind. So that's yeah. really remarkable. When you think about the Air Jordan movement, obviously the Kobe situation, like athletes, even Tiger Woods with golf, it's really remarkable how that all began with running. And you don't think of running when you think Nike, but that's cool to see that they're winning on the track now on another level again, heading into the Olympics. Yep. It all cycles. It all does cycle. Well, that was a great one, guys. I think my stomach is starting to churn here,
2: Corey. I think it's yeah, dinner time.
1: It's time. What did eat. you order tonight?
2: Um, You know what? I still haven't. Oh, <laughs> we we all it, missed a beat on this one today. What now. are we
1: thinking? What are you and Sarah about to crush?
2: Oh, man. It's a good question. I don't know. I, what, you should what do we should put her on the
1: spot. Just be like, yo, what are we getting? Give you 30 seconds. <laughs> I think you should bring
3: Sarah on the podcast right now and have her do a made up ad read. <laughs> tell her she's got to do an ad read for lo- I love the whole having someone do a, a made up ad read on the spot <laughs> Coca-Cola it's not just for drinking pesticide sure. included <laughs> next time you get stung by a jellyfish just pour some Coca-Cola on it
2: it's just like piss seriously you yeah that is up. wild I mean, if they don't do it, maybe we should and just uh, – Send it to them. Yeah. Take the Coke product and rebrand it.
3: It would be actually really funny to make like a fun animated video that highlights all the things that you were talking about that have nothing to do with drinking Coke and send it yeah, to them. Yeah, it's like for those of you
1: that hate soda, <laughs> but you still need this. Be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> we- <laughs> yeah. For those soda haters out here that don't even realize what they're missing out on on Coke, great uses. Yeah.
2: Here's 50 things you do need it for
1: <laughs> that don't involve your stomach, even though they could. <laughs> well, guys, good stuff. Cool. Yeah, until next week. All right, guys. Yes,
2: sidebar, the penny pickup went really well.
1: Oh, and next week, Corey, you got us uh, our first big guest, yeah, brunch pumped. boys. Yes, oh, uh, yeah, we should wait to dive in. I feel like we should have done brunch. In. I can't wait to talk. What, Dan? No, I was
3: just going to say, I feel like we should have like done a little bit more of a preview about like what is Brunch Boys. Let's talk about that real quick before we have Score, this. you want to dive into that?
2: Yeah. So basically, he was a kid in video production, I believe. He worked at Food Network and a bunch of production shows. Um, I think he was in an abusive relationship, if I'm not wrong. I read a little bio he did, and he was kind of depressed, and I think he went to Birthright and decided to start. Like just uh, right around the time, probably I guess 2011 when Instagram really just came out and he started like a food account and it started with just pictures. He was one of the first ones to do it in New York. And back then you would like see like these, you know, awesome pictures of restaurants in the city and they would just be all over um, like all these pizza places like Ruby Rosa. And anyway, it just blew up. And then, you know, he kind of went into videos and YouTube and he has a podcast and, you know, he's, got, he's sponsored by like hotels.com and, and a bunch of like restaurants all over the city. Um, and, yeah, he's just crushing it. He has about 500,000 followers. And, yeah, he's, he's nice. he seems like a really nice kid. And, um, yeah, pumped to talk to him. Instagram
1: and right he happened that? to be on Jeff Dorman, our most loyal listeners on this podcast. He was yeah. on Birthright with him, right?
2: Yep,
3: I'll, Jeff Dorman. I love that. That's really cool that they were on Birthright together. Do they still talk?
2: I don't know if they talk, but I know um, I know, like they, they might keep in touch. But I, I think um, – Acquaintances. Acquaintances. This guy's got a – Yeah, like like when we bring it up, he'll know exactly who Jeff is. This
1: guy's got a – I mean, who doesn't know Jeff Dorman? Like even if you don't know Jeff, you know him. This guy's got yeah, a, he's a great one of those guys. Instagram.
2: I got to say. Yeah, he's awesome. Even the videos he does are just top notch. He, he does all the production work and it's great. I think he just – He actually just teamed up with Sabra Hummus for the Super Bowl. I love it, Sabra. He did a whole campaign like, what's the weirdest thing you can eat with hummus? So he did a whole campaign where he was just eating pizza, dipping it into different kinds of hummus. Awesome. Oh, I can't and, wait uh, to
1: talk to him about this because I it, do the dark chocolate with hummus. I've tried. Yeah. And so I'm I mean, I'm pumped to dive into that with him.
2: My nephew eats uh, chocolate hummus. It's like a thing.
1: That guy's, I mean, your nephew's the man. That doesn't
2: shock
1: <laughs> me at all. Yeah. <laughs> that kid is something.
2: Yeah, I'm watching um,
3: this video right now of him dipping pizza into hummus. Fucking look. Yeah, it, I mean, man. I think that's a
1: very seasoned vet. Yeah. Though, personally, pizza and hummus, I dig that. He's also there's I like, nothing wrong with he's that. Also I mean, I
2: like it, but the amount of hummus he puts on is, is alarming. We're gonna have to bring oh, that. Okay.
1: Well, that's a whole difference. There's a time and a place for quantity of hummus on pizza. We there's no sure. doubt it can't be overbearing. We're also gonna have to
3: ask him what made him choose an Odell Beckham jersey for this pizza video. <laughs> yeah,
2: I guess he's a Giants fan in the Super Bowl, representing his team.
1: I, I can't wait to ask him his first ever brunch experience because that must have been legendary.
2: I think my main question is why brunch boys if it's just one guy?
1: That's what I was Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that too. I thought there was like a crew of these guys when I first saw that account. I'm like, what is this, I honestly, like triplets? I honestly <laughs> thought – The Jonas Brothers? I thought brunch boys was like
3: some sort of app that you go to brunch on – like I didn't realize it was – yeah, well, now I know. Maybe we Dan, could, uh, that might be
1: a prelude to that brunch yeah. app idea. We had to cut the line. Maybe Jeremy could be our face. I mean it could be a good face. Yeah,
2: exactly. A great face for one of our ideas.
1: We have so many dominant food ideas within food when you think about it, which makes sense since we've been in food for so long. Yeah.
3: This guy's Instagram just makes me want pizza right
1: now. <laughs> not feeling pizza at the moment. That's the problem, Scottsdale, Corey. The food, it's kind of like Denver. You got a lot of chains, and like you know, I also might have- There's a, nothing stands out.
2: Pretty sure this. There's a really good, like sushi style, cool restaurant out there. Not, it's not sushi. It's like some Japanese. It might be Komodo or something like that. Tell me more. What do we got, Corey? <laughs> Let me find it for you. If you got a minute, you guys can keep talking. Uh, I got, I got a minute. Uh, there's Some <laughs> fucking jackass
3: in the airport. Might have me the coronavirus. I got the sniffles. It's
1: a problem. Mike is so pissed. Man. Every time I fly. <laughs> I mean, I, I never like hearing anyone being sick. I know. Like these assholes, dude. Like- I thought you – had, but Dan, that's where you, – you triggered that thing I brought up a few weeks ago, which you'll crack up at now. The whole – I asked you earlier, are you getting a cold? Oh, I, I must have allergies out here. That was your initial immediate response. I knew, I could tell. Like, and that's the funny thing. Well, oh, because I could tell you have a couple though.
3: Well, I could tell you were huh? getting I could tell you were getting a little like you were like, damn, like if it's seasonal, a little hot. I wasn't gonna be like, Yeah, fucking getting sick over here. You're gonna probably Well, get yeah, to- I just find that funny
1: how there's always that like natural reaction when someone's like, Oh, are you getting sick? No matter whether it's like the person or like the significant other person. Oh, no, 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 that's allergies. Like when we were in Mexico with Rick. Yeah. Lori immediately, oh, he has allergies. It's like, no, no, no that's a full-blown cold. Yeah, no, I'm fucking <laughs> – that, That's not an I'm allergy. i getting a cold. It's
2: called Sumo Maya.
1: That's called what? Huh?
2: Sumo Maya, the restaurant. Wow. Yeah. Dan, it's it a, sounds like
1: you need some shots
3: of tequila or something. Yeah,
2: it's an Asian fusion restaurant
3: be down for shots of tequila i've been this house is i don't know it's fucking cold out i don't like being in arizona when it's cold it's just weird
1: i mean who likes being anywhere when it's cold i know.
3: I I was looking at this though as my warm escape from timber and i was so excited yeah i was literally envisioning this podcast outside for the last week and was so happy about it
1: and do i i'm not outside at all in a fucking it sounds like next week dan you'll have to be somewhere warm
2: uh, you go to Puerto Rico
1: Yeah, it's time for Dan to go to San Juan Alright, well I guess we'll end it on that <laughs> I'm going to San Juan, I'm going to buck it right
3: now
0: Bootstrapped strapped in the trenches yeah. Making moves going all out Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady, keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get low down, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.